Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Let's get into the Word of God today. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started a, a sermon series on on how to navigate stress in a stressful world. And the title of the series is Stress-Free in a Stressful World. And we are no doubt living in tremendously tumultuous times, uh, unprecedented times. We are seeing uh, our lives are, are filled with all kinds of stress and stress factors from marriage, family, finances, health issues, uh, work, social pressures from, from, from social media. But did you know that one of the ways that we can alleviate stress from our lives is through being grateful? Gratitude, there is a correlation between gratefulness and having less stress. Uh, a grateful heart is a less stressed heart. A grateful heart is a blessed heart, and a blessed heart is a less stressed out heart. In fact, uh, research shows that, that being grateful and having a grateful heart can actually stave away depression and oppression and anxiety and, and, and nervousness and, and worry. Why? Because when we worry and when we are, are, are stressed, the, we, we, we focus on all of the wrong in our lives. We focus on all of the negative things. We focus on, on the problems. We, we focus on, on the things that we don't have. But when we develop a grateful heart, an attitude of gratitude, that tends to shift our focus on what we don't have onto whom we do have. Notice I didn't say on who we have or what we have, but on whom we have. See, when you develop an attitude of gratitude and a grateful heart, it shifts the focus on what you do not have onto whom you have in your life. And so there's a, a story in, in, in the Bible about a man, an individual who displayed a grateful heart. In fact, that's what I want to talk to you today about developing a grateful heart. Go with me to Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of all their leprosy. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Notice that anything in Scripture is not there by coincidence or accidents. It's always very intentional. And here the, Luke, the author of this gospel, makes it a point to point out that the man that came back to give thanks to Jesus was not a Jew, but was a Samaritan. Now go to verse 17. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. As Jesus was traveling toward Jerusalem, he came across these 10 men who had leprosy. Now, leprosy was a disease which the Jews believed, a disease that would be inflicted on an individual that, that had committed a, a, a 
particular sin. Leprosy was, was a disease that uh, more than any other disease that the Jews believed that you got not because of uh, a, a disorder, dysfunction in the body, but it was because you were being punished. Remember, we've talked about it a lot, how the Jewish had this religious mindset and they always saw God and saw God as, as a judge, that he was sitting on, on his throne, you know, with two lightning bolts, just waiting for you to mess up so that he could strike you down with, with disease or tragedy or turmoil. And in fact, Jesus came to dispel and break that paradigm that the Jews had. He came to present Jesus, not or God, not as a judge, but as a loving father. And so case in point, here the Jews believe that if you got leprosy, you were, you, you were, it's because you were bad. You did something to offend God. And, and when you develop leprosy, leprosy, they would, they, you would become an outcast in your society. You were stigmatized. You were judged. You were criticized. And you could no longer be a part of, of the community. You could no longer be a part of the society. And that's why these 10 individuals were outside of the city. They were out in the middle of nowhere wondering. They had no way of, of earning a living. They had no way of, uh, of getting food. They had no way of being fed. Essentially, when you contracted leprosy, you were left out to die. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking along the road, and these 10 individuals see Jesus, and they begin to cry out for them. Now, now imagine for a moment you're, you're one of these individuals. You're out in the camp. Not only are you dealing with the physical affliction, the physical pain of having leprosy. Leprosy is, is one of the most uh, uh, painful uh, diseases known to man. Your, your body just begins to eat itself and deteriorate. Your, your body becomes all full of sores to the point where, where your, your appendages can all of a sudden just fall off. And, and so you're not only dealing with the physical pain and, and turmoil of, of having this sickness, but now you're isolated away from your family, away from your loved ones. You will never be able to hug that, that, that loved one again. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to not be able to hug that one person you love most in this world, that one person that, that you desire to be with, your, your husband, your wife, your children. You, you are completely completely outcast and separated from all of your family. That's what these individuals were going through. And I know oftentimes we read these, these uh, narratives in Scripture, and we just think they're stories, and we think that they're mythological creatures and, and characters that, that, that weren't real, but these were individuals that were real, with real feelings, real emotions. Now imagine for a moment, you, you, are, you, are, you are stricken sick with this disease that everybody believes that, that you got because you are bad, because you dishonored and disobeyed God, and you're stigmatized for that, you're judged, and you're criticized, but also dealing with the emotional pain and distress of never being able to see and be around your loved ones again. And here they were, isolated, lonely, in pain. And Jesus comes walking along the road. And the Bible says that when they saw him, 
they began to cry out to him for mercy, and they stood at a distance. Why? Because it was unlawful for them to approach. They, they, they could literally lose their life if, if they were to approach someone. So they would have to warn, warn people. When anyone would come around, they'd have to, hey, get away from me. I have leprosy. Hey, get away. Imagine that you in this life would have to shout out your mistake and your sin to everybody you came into contact with. Could you imagine that you would have to shout out and declare Declare what you are going through, what you're suffering from. And that's what these individuals had to do. And so from a distance, they shouted out. They said, Jesus, Rabbi, Master, have mercy on me. Here they were, quarantined, isolated, living as outcasts, unable to interact with those that they loved, never ever being able to reintegrate into their families, into the society, and into their community until Jesus shows up. How many of you know when Jesus shows up, everything can change? And so here they were. They called out to him. And Jesus, his response was he didn't throw down a prayer meeting. He didn't throw some holy water on them. All Jesus did was shout out to them, hey, go show yourself to the priest. That's all he did. Now, imagine you're one of these 10 lepers, and you're asking for help, and you want Jesus, the, this rabbi, this master, this teacher, to, to, to help you out. And, and, and essentially, all he does is tell you to go show yourself to the priest. Why did he do that? Because when you would contract leprosy, the priest would officially and ceremoniously declare you unclean and unfit for society, and they would cast you out. The only way that you would be able to reintegrate is that you would have to go back to the priest and the same way they declared you unclean, they would have to declare you clean. So Jesus is telling them, I want you to go. I'll keep, just, just keep walking. Go walk right into town. Go past everybody and go straight to the priest and show yourselves. Imagine for yourself that moment that you're one of these individuals and all Jesus does, he doesn't reach out, he doesn't touch you, he doesn't try to help you. All he does is say, just go show yourself to the priest. Imagine the step of faith you would have to take. And the Bible says that they followed Jesus' instructions and as they went, they were healed. Isn't that what sometimes Jesus does for us? We come into church so broken and we're waiting for everything to be fixed in our life but sometimes Jesus is going to heal you as you go and imagine here they were they were walking still full of sores still going past the the, the gates of the city going past the, the the storefronts and the store owners and 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 being laughed at and ridiculed criticized people going on the other side of the street and here they were they were walking they had to push through the rejection they had to push through the the, the criticism they had to push through the judgment they had to keep going and i'm sure that in their mind the devil was saying what are you doing don't don't be stupid don't be dumb look at you they're just going to cast you out again you're in the same condition they had to get through all of that and just keep walking and God wants me to tell some of you today you may not feel healed but you are healed just keep walking just keep walking just keep walking and the Bible says that as they went they were healed now it doesn't say how far they had to walk. It doesn't say how far they went before they were actually healed. 
but only one of the ten, an individual who was a Samaritan. Why is this so important? Because he was not included in, in the covenant of God. This, this Samaritan was an individual. He had no religious connection to God. It was the other nine that were Jews, but this one individual had no religious connection with God, and that's why it, the, the, the scripture and the author of this gospel makes it a point that this Samaritan was the only one that returned to Jesus. He was the only one that came back worshiping God with a loud voice, and it says, as he reached to Jesus, he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and thanked him and began to praise and worship God. You know, I thought about myself oftentimes when I read scriptures, I, I try to put myself in their chanclas. Those of you who know Greek know what chanclas is. You're like, isn't that what your mama hit you with? That too, yes. And I put myself in, 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 oftentimes I thought, man, if that was me, what would I have done? W would I have been like the other nine? Or would I have been like the one? Would I have been the one that, that was so grateful, so, so blessed? Imagine getting this amazing gift of being reconnected and, and reintegrated into your family, into your society. Imagine being able to get home and, and to hug your son, to hug your daughter, to, to hug your spouse. Uh, uh, imagine, imagine getting that amazing gift. Here you were. You thought you had this condemnation of death. You thought you were going to live your life isolated and stigmatized but all of a sudden you get this amazing gift you get completely healed and now you have the opportunity to go back to those that you love I often think myself what would I have done would I have been like the one that went back and returned thanking Jesus or would I have been like the other nine You know, sometimes I can't, it's so easy for us to judge and criticize the other nine. But we, we don't know what they did. We, maybe they went to the mall. I don't know. I imagine they probably went running home. Went to hug their loved ones, hug, hug their family members, people that they long to see and, and reconnect with. And, and oftentimes, we can be so critical on this side of the scripture, uh, on this side of that dispensation, not realizing that oftentimes, we are guilty of doing the same thing. You know, I think most of us are pretty good at giving God thanks for the big things. The bonus, the raise, the job, the house, the car, the healing. But how many of us are guilty of not thanking him for the little things? Thanking him for waking up this morning. There's people that didn't wake up today. Thanking him for the husband you get to fight with on the way to church. Man, he is prophetic. He is a prophet. How does he know? Ponen todo en Facebook y luego preguntan. You know, sometimes I have to check myself because I have those moments where, you know how you pray for things, then God answers? But when you get the blessing, oftentimes it comes with responsibility. 
like when you pray for kids and then God gives them to you and on Sunday morning you're trying to run to work and they run to church early in the morning and they both have diarrhea? That was my morning. I know TMI, but that was my morning today. How many years did I pray for children not realizing that children poop? <laughs> and a lot. And I often have to stop myself and say, God, thank you, because I get to change this poopy diaper. Thank you. You can change it next if you want, since you're so happy for me. <laughs> that was my morning today. First Malachi and then Micah. I know when they're older, Dad, I can't believe you told everybody you had diarrhea. Well, ya ni modo. You live in the pastor's house, you become part of the pastor's preaching. That's just part of the package. I grew up, I dealt with it, and so, they, so will they. But think about it. Oftentimes, you know, I, I find myself in, in the house tripping over toys, and, and I was someone that I, I love things very neat and nice and organized, and I've come to realize that you clean one side of the house, and as soon as you get it clean, they, they make it dirty. You go clean the other side of the house, and they make that dirty. Like, literally, the house can stay clean for five minutes, and here I am walking in the dark in the house and tripping over toys and stepping on blocks. How many of you know that's of the devil? That hurts. And sometimes before I get mad, I got to stop myself and say, hey, man, you prayed for this. You prayed for the blessing to step on your son's blocks. I didn't know that was part of the package, but that is. And, and oftentimes, how are we guilty of doing what the other nine do? Sometimes we even blame God for the blessings that he gives because not, we didn't realize that that blessing came with the responsibility. I heard Michael Todd say one time, so many people want the prophetic word, but not the prophetic work that comes with sustaining the word. And, and, and so here, these nine, we don't know what they did. They, you know, and, and often, I, I, can't, I can't really blame them. Can you imagine getting this amazing gift and running back home and, 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 and asking, you know, getting, getting that hug, that embrace, re, you know, reconnecting with their family? We don't know what they did. But how many of us have been guilty of not thanking God for the little things every day? See, research shows that a grateful heart can actually stave away anxiety, depression, and worry. And so I think if we develop a grateful heart, it will not only bring us closer to God, but it'll bring us less stress. See, there's one thing about gratitude. How do we develop a grateful heart? Number one, gratitude should not be occasional. Gratitude should not be occasional. See, we shouldn't just be celebrating Thanksgiving one day. Yes, yes, we, that, that's very important. Yes, you know, having a day where we stop and, and, and we are grateful for our family and our friends, for the turkey and the tamales and the stuffing, all of the things that, that, that bring us together. Be thankful for family, for friends, for, for community. Yes, we should have that day. But gratitude should not be occasional. Gratitude should be something that we do on a daily basis. Look at what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, 16 through 17. He says, let the message about Christ and all its 
richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We should constantly be giving thanks. And I love what the psalmist David writes in Psalm 34 1. He says, I will praise the Lord at all times. Notice he doesn't say, I will praise him when things are good. Notice that he doesn't say, I will praise him when I have a job. Notice he doesn't say, I will praise him when I have gas in the tank or food in the, in the, in the pantry or money in the bank. He is saying, I will praise the Lord at all times, whether things are good, whether things are bad, whether things are tough or difficult. Why? Because God is still good. Even in the difficult times, even in those hard moments, we can still see God's hand of faithfulness and blessing. He said, I will praise the Lord at all times, and I will constantly speak his praises. Number two, gratitude should not just be occasional, but gratitude should be intentional. See, the Bible instructs us to give thanks to God with all of our heart. In fact, Psalm 9-1 says, I will thank the Lord with all my heart. I will tell about all your amazing deeds. That, that is one of the reasons why every Thursday before Bible study, I, I, I give you an opportunity to, to share the things that God is doing, to give a testimony. Why? Because that's how we give thanks to God. You know, and, and sometimes I, I'm caught off guard because I, I ask, anybody have anything to share? And all I hear is crickets. And, and I think about it because we're probably thinking about the big things. We're probably thinking about the big miracles, the big blessings, the big breakthroughs. But how many of us can stop and say, God, I thank you because I have breath of life this morning. Thank you because I have two legs and two hands and two arms. I thank you because my family, while we are not perfect, and yes, we are dysfunctional as all get out, but they're my tribe. It's my dysfunctional tribe. This is my family. Gratitude should be intentional. And see, one of the ways that we can express our gratefulness to God is through intentional thanksgiving. And I want to encourage you, as you sit down to your Thanksgiving meal, don't just give thanks for the turkey. Give thanks for the people you get to share that meal with. Give thanks to God for his blessing. Give thanks to God for his protection. Give thanks because you never know that that person that you're eating Thanksgiving with, you may not be there next year. You never know. There are people that celebrated Thanksgiving last year that are going to be missing a loved one from the table this year. We just never know. When we'll, this will be our last hug. This will be our last moment. I want to encourage you not only to give thanks for the food and God's bountiful blessings, but give thanks to the individuals that you're sharing that meal with. See, there are ways that, that we, can, we can express our gratefulness to God, and we can set aside deliberate times and practices to give thanks to God, such as, you know, maybe keeping a gratitude journal by, by writing out five things that each day that you are grateful for. You can set aside time with God exclusively devoted to thanksgiving and praise. Don't let your prayers be filled with petitions. Yes, it's okay to ask God for things, but take some time, some moments in, in, in your prayer with Him and begin to thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his faithfulness. Thank him for his peace. Thank him for his love. When you pray over meals, take time to thank God for the things other than food, such as family, friends, and other blessings from God. Or you can even write God a thank you note for his goodness and his loving kindness that is better than life. 
So gratitude should not just be occasional. Gratitude should be intentional. But also gratitude should be spontaneous. Another way that we can develop a heart of gratitude is through spontaneous thanksgiving. Be thankful not just for the big things, but also being thankful for the little things. Recognizing God's goodness in the small details of life, in the most minimal things. Be, be grateful. And, and we should be grateful not just to God, but let's be grateful to one another. Be grateful to your husband. Be grateful to your wife. Be grateful to uh, express gratitude to your children children. Thank God for those, those little things because even when times are tough, even when times are difficult, God is still faithful. God is still good. God is still providing. God is still blessing. Yes, you might be going through the fire. Yes, you might be going through the storm. Like I said in the first week, in the first sermon in this series, but remember that just the way that God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, God is right there with you in the fire. Just the way that God was with, Jesus was with the disciples in the boat in the middle of the storm Jesus is right there see take some time to be grateful for the little things in life and this was the response of that one leper who returned to Jesus spontaneous thanksgiving is developing an ongoing practice of giving God thanks as you go throughout your day see one of the things that I I learned and, and I came to realize just this week in preparing this message is that being grateful is a learned behavior being grateful is a learned behavior. It's not something that comes naturally to us. How do I know? Because I'm raising two little boys that I've got to tell them, say thank you. Because if I didn't, I would give them anything and they would just take it and run. But being grateful is a learned behavior. We have to learn to be grateful. So I want to encourage you, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. Be grateful for the little things. If someone opens the door for you, say thank you. If someone closes the door behind you, say thank you. If someone buys you coffee at Starbucks, say I'm there Monday through Friday. In case you want to practice, I'll say thank Or if you want me to buy you coffee, I will. In 1967... I told you between 8 and 9, I'll be there. If you're there between 8 and 8.05, I got you. In 1967, at the age of 17, Joni Erickson Tata was injured in a diving accident that left her a quadriplegic in a wheelchair without the use of her, without the use of her hands. During her rehabilitation, Joni, Joni spent long months learning how to paint with a brush between her teeth. Her high detail, fine art paintings and prints are still sought after and collected today. To date, she has written over 40 books, recorded several mu musical albums, starred in an autobiographical movie about her life, and is an advocate for people with disabilities. Her life has been hard, to, to say the least, but if there is anything Joni personifies, it is joy and gratitude. She often states, today, look around you. Surely, there are small blessings, little joys, tiny hints of God's favor for which you can be grateful. Don't take these things for granted today. Take them with gratitude. Here is this young lady who had her whole life ahead of her. By the age of 17 finds herself confined to a wheelchair but instead of being bitter, instead of, instead of being depressed, she says, I'm going to make the most. And instead of just giving in to depression, she began to be grateful. And what did she do with her life? She taught herself to paint. I can't even color with the lines with my left and right hand. And here she is, painting, writing books, recording musical albums. 
what you can do is ask the Holy Spirit to help you give thanks as you go throughout your day. See, we have the ability to choose through the grace and strength of Jesus a grateful attitude. Someone once said that life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond. Let me encourage you in every situation, choose gratitude. You know, one of the things that I learned to do when I drive, you know how sometimes people throw up half a peace sign? What is our natural response? As a pastor, I would never do that, okay? But I'm talking about some of y'all, right? Well, you know what I've learned to do? Say, thank you. (laughs) God bless you too. (laughs) Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Be thankful in all circumstances. Wow. That's a tough one. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. You know that being grateful and having a grateful heart is a reflection of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I know some of you are here today, and maybe some of your family members don't come to church. They haven't seen the light yet. They might judge you and criticize you. But you know one of the greatest ways that you can show that Jesus is real in your life is showing a heart of gratitude. And finally, gratitude draws us closer to God. See, in this passage, Jesus heals all 10 lepers. However, only one of them returns to give thanks to Jesus. In verse 17, Jesus asks, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? See, we don't know why the other nine did not return to Jesus to thank him. Like I said, maybe they went running home. Maybe they they went to do things that they they couldn't do before. Maybe they went shopping. They went shouting in the streets. For whatever reason, they did not return to give thanks. Maybe they just went to show everybody that they were healed. But their lives demonstrate how easy it is for us to receive the blessing of God without stopping and offering up thanksgiving to him. See, ungratefulness always leads us away from God's presence. Ungratefulness leads us away from God's presence. Paul writes to the Romans, Romans chapter 121 says, For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks. But they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. Notice the, 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 the profoundness of what Paul writes. He says, for although they knew God. That word knew in the Greek means that they experienced God. They, they had an encounter. They had experienced God. Even though they had experienced God's goodness. Even though they had experienced God's grace. Even though they had experienced God's love and joy and peace. He says they did not glorify him or give him thanks. Wow. Sometimes we don't realize that we do to God what we get after our children for when they're ungrateful for the little things. And yet here we are with God. You and I, we get to experience His goodness. Yes, things may not be perfect in our lives. Yes, we're still going through issues and problems and and difficult circumstances and situations. 
But yet, you and I, we have the opportunity and the privilege to know God, to experience Him. Let's not fall into, in, into this pattern uh, or problem of, of, of knowing Him and not giving Him glory or give Him thanks. See, because just the way that thanksgiving draws you closer to God, an ungrateful heart draws you away from His presence. Why? Because an ungrateful heart shifts your focus on who you have onto what you don't have. When you stop being grateful for the little things and you focus on the problems, the circumstances, the situations, the lack of resources, the lack of finances, the lack of opportunity, you begin to focus on what you don't have. Little by little, Paul is saying, what happened is they became futile in their thoughts. They became more bitter. They became more hardened. It says their hearts were darkened. Their hearts were hardened because they were ungrateful. Notice what David says. David says, I will enter his gates with what? With thanksgiving and his courts with praise. See, the more grateful you are, the closer you are to his presence. But an ungrateful heart draws you away from him. See, the less grateful you are, the farther away you move from God. And when you develop a grateful heart, you become closer to him. You become closer to his presence. You experience his joy and his peace. And you realize that even though there is lack in this area, you have everything you need when you have him. So I want to challenge you today in every circumstance, just as Paul tells the, the Romans, just as Paul tells the, the, the Romans, he told the, the Thessalonians, be thankful in all circumstances. Wow. Even when things aren't easy, even when things are tough, let's be thankful. Will you stand with me today? Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, and I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would help us develop a grateful heart today. God, help us to be mindful of the little blessings, the, the little things that, that we take for granted every day. God, help us to be mindful of your goodness. Open up our hearts, eyes to see you're faithful even in the difficult situations that you're good even in the hard times so that we can be like David and praise you at all times, giving you thanks in all circumstances, in all situations. I know it's not easy, God, but with your help, we can do this. And as we are more grateful, the closer we get to you. God, help us develop that grateful heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.